And we are going to go back to Psalm 19. Now you remember last week we talked about all of the things that David told us about the heavens and about the universe and about the stars and the sun and how the Lord is sovereign over all of that. And what does that uh, general revelation we call, what does it do? It testifies, and the psalmist said, everywhere about the existence and the power of God. Okay, We don't know anything else, but we do know this. When we look around and see the universe and see the consistency and we see the design and we see all of the predictability, see, we would assume that if evolution is true, there would be a whole lot of chaos still happening. And yet we look and we see things so orderly that we can set a calendar by it. We're going to have a February 29th leap year, you know, leap day. And uh, why do we do that? Well, because the rotation of the earth is 300, uh, around the sun is 365 and a quarter days. So every four years we kind of have to make up for that. Why is that? Because it's so incredibly consistent that we do that every four years and it works. And it sets everything right. The problem is uh, not with God and what he's done. The problem is with our ability to make a workable calendar. We have to have a little makeup here. And uh, we do that every four years. Why is that still working? Because everything still works. It's amazing. How did... Uh, Sailors in days before they had any kind of our modern technology, how did they sail across the oceans? How did they keep track of where they were? How did they stay on course? Because of the consistency of the stars. It's amazing when you think about all of that. Okay, that's, that's the existence and the power of God. But as you look out and as you wonder about it, if you didn't know anything else, that's about all you're going to get. And so general revelation... It's enough to shut the mouths of people, as Paul says, when they stand before the Lord. Because the Lord has testified of himself all around the world. And not only that, but according to Romans, uh, the first few chapters in there, he's given everybody a conscience. And the problem is we sin against the knowledge that we have as we look around the world. And we even sin against our own conscience. And that's enough to condemn somebody. That's what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. People will be called up, judged according to their works. Why does God judge according to their works? Because they are going into the heavenly courtroom and their plea is going to be not guilty. Okay? Well, then if you're not guilty, defend yourself and they're going to talk about their works. Look what I did. Look what kind of person I was. Look what kind of life I lived. And all of that. And uh, their works in front of an all-knowing God are actually going to do something they didn't expect. And this is sad. And this is tragic. Their works are going to condemn them. Because God can't be fooled and God can't be misled. Have you ever had someone talk to you about a problem, about a situation in their life, and they told you something that was true, but they didn't tell you the whole truth? There was a little bit more to the story. So you can't really say that what they told you was a lie or a false, but it was misleading. Now, you may have been fooled by that. You may have even acted on that and then found out later there was more to the story and then you got into some kind of trouble. Well, here's the thing. When they stand before God, 
The Bible says nothing is hidden from his sight. And so there's no evidence out there that he didn't know about. Nobody's going to come back later on to somebody who is in hell and say, we found new evidence, and God has to go, oh, let them out of hell and bring them into heaven. That'll never happen because he knows everything about them. And uh, so general revelation is enough to bring about conviction and condemnation to a sinner, but it's not enough to save. Nobody ever looked up to the moon and said, I think Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. It, that doesn't happen, okay? What do you need then to know that? Well, it's what theologians call special revelation, okay? And that's what David moves to. You didn't know David was a theologian, did you? He is. And he goes from the testimony of the presence and the power of God in the heavens down to the specifics that we find about the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord. And these are great statements about the Bible in verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. Okay, you found it? The law of the Lord is... What does your Bible say right there? Everybody got perfect? Okay, perfect. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, and look what it does, converting the soul. It's through the Word of God that our lives are changed, our relationship with God is changed, and we are converted. Okay, we are saved through that. And then it says, the testimony of the Lord, anything that He says about anything, history, the creation of the universe, all of that, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. What kind of a person is simple? Okay, you could translate that word the gullible. You know, we live in a world where people will fall for almost anything now. Okay? In our Bible study um, the other day, Saturday morning, I think Brother Terry said this. It might have been somebody else. But everything on the Internet is true. You know who said that? Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. There's a problem there, isn't there? And uh, that's what happens. You find information all the time about this will work and this is harmful. And then, you know, within a decade, oh, we found out we were wrong and they switch it over and all kinds of things. Um, but God never has to do that. God never has to go back and say, I need to give you an updated version of Scripture. Okay? Now, we do that. There's so many translations and all kinds of Bibles out there. And, man, it'll drive you crazy sometimes. Uh, when I was a boy, everybody had the King James Version. They didn't understand it, but they had it. Okay? And you know what? A pastor back in those days could say, let's all turn to Psalm 19, verse 7, and everybody could stand and read it because they all had the same version. Well, you can't do that anymore. That's kind of a difficult thing. And uh, some of those things are very, very helpful, some of the newer translations, because when I was a kid, I had no idea what superfluity of naughtiness was. Okay, and that's King James English. That was written, they understood it in 1611. I don't quite get it. And sometimes word change over time. The Bible says in the King James, let your conversation be pure. Okay, in my mind, that would mean don't cuss. That's not what conversation meant back in 1611. Conversation was their term for your everyday life, everything that it encompassed. Well, it doesn't mean that in our world today. 
Now, God's word doesn't change, but our language does. So we always want to go back and find out what the original language said, whether it's Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament or Greek in the New Testament, because that's solid, that's done, that is settled, that is recorded. And then we have to find out what the best definition for that is in our language so that we understand what was said. So two things I would just encourage you to do whenever you read your Bible. Never, ever, 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 ever say, what does this mean to you? Who cares? John MacArthur said, what would this verse mean if you were dead? What would this verse mean if you were never born? That's what you want to get to. Now, I was taught two things that have helped me immensely to understand the Bible. What did it mean in the mind of the person who wrote it? So when we read this psalm, we need to go back and we need to say, what did David mean? What did David mean when he wrote it? And then the second thing we need to do to kind of help us clarify is what did it mean in the minds of the original audience? So whenever Paul wrote a letter to the Colossians, we want to know, Paul, what were you thinking? And we want to know, how did the Colossians understand that? That'll give us an idea of what God is saying on that. Now, if we all go by our own little interpretations and feelings and thoughts and emotions and all of that, we need to remember, and the New Testament tells us, that no scripture is of private origin, and sometimes that can be translated interpretation. It means what it means. Okay? When you uh, leave your $20 million to your heirs, and they read the will... You do not want the attorney and your heirs to go, what does this mean to you? Because you've always got that one kid that will say, what it means to me is I get everything. right? And that's the kid you probably don't want to get anything. You want it to be that your wishes are carried out the way you intended them. Okay? Now, isn't it interesting that we have the Bible divided into an Old Testament? Well, that's the word that's used in your last will and testament. When we talk about the will of God, it's like God has written out his will and he wants us to carry out his last will and testament the way he wrote it. Well, that's what the Bible is. It's the will of God. It's the testament of God. And we don't have any business monkeying with it. We don't have any business twisting it. It's not a matter of what we think that we want it to mean. It's a matter of what did God say when he said it. Those words are inspired by God. And it is the perfect and it is the final revelation of God. This is the yardstick that we use to measure everything. What do we think about um, sex outside of marriage? Well, you know, in my mind, I feel like it doesn't matter. God has already given us a yardstick in his word. And we measure morality by what his word says. It doesn't change. And so when it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, it means that it's not on quicksand. It's not on, have you ever tried to run when you're on a sand dune or something? It's kind of hard to run on that sand. It's just not solid or firm enough. And uh, the testimonies of the Lord are not like shifting sands. They are sure. They are solid. You can get good traction on them. You can have a firm foundation on them because the statutes of the Lord, His laws, well, they're always right. And look what they do. They rejoice the heart, the Bible says in verse 8. Why do they rejoice the heart? Because it's always good to know where you stand. You don't have to guess. 
You don't have to kind of play around with everything or, or always be changing in it. You are able to stand like we sang on the promises of God. It's a good place to be. That'll make you smile. That'll make your heart rejoice. You know you're right. A lot of uh, religions say, well, you die and you stand before whatever God is out there and then you find out whether you made it into heaven or not by you know, the balancing scale or something like that. Aren't you glad that when you read your Bible, you find out that you don't have to worry about that? Because your salvation is accomplished by Christ who did everything necessary for you to be saved and to stay saved. See, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And you can lay down at night and you can think, boy, if the trumpet sounded and the archangel gave the shout tonight and all believers are caught up, that would include you because your faith and trust is in Christ and Christ alone and what he did. Now, if you're trusting in yourself, you may be good this day and you may be bad the next day. So how does that work whenever the Lord calls us out in the rapture? Well, that'd be a terrifying thing and a terrifying way to live. And so, why do we do that? I heard somebody say one time, well, I wouldn't want to be, a, and I forgot what they said, but another denomination, that because they believe you can lose your salvation. I'm glad I'm a Baptist, because you, Baptists don't lose their salvation. You know what I said to them? It has nothing to do with what Baptists say. Nothing. It's what Baptists believe the Word of God says. Now, what does God's Word say? All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and of them I should lose none. Whew, that makes me feel good. Because I don't have to hang on to Jesus because he's hanging on to me. I don't have to go up and talk about my works and my righteousness because Jesus has already lived a perfect life. And he put that on my account. And so I'm as welcome in heaven tonight as I stand as Jesus was. And I'm not perfect like Jesus. Everybody knows that. And neither are you. But on my account statement in heaven, there it is. The perfection of Jesus Christ put in my account. So what does that do? It secures us. This is not an emotional statement. This is not a I think so statement. This is based upon what the word of God says. Jesus said, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. No wise cast out. That's King James talk for there are no circumstances present in the universe where I would ever throw them out. That's not my words. That's not your words. That's not our feelings. That's not our emotions. That's not our vision or dream or anything like that. That's the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of God given to us so that we can stand firm on the testimonies and the promises of God. And wow, the hymn standing on the promises hadn't even been written when David wrote this. And you know what he's telling us? Stand on the promises. Why? That's a sure word. The statutes of the Lord are right, his morality and everything, and they rejoice the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure. And what does it do? It enlightens the eyes. It gives us insight into things that we've never had before. Verse 9. A lot in here, isn't there? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments, 
Okay, Kendall, don't shut down on me now. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. And look at that next word, all together. Not only individually, but when you pile them all up, they're still just as right. And they're still just as good. There's no change in it. And then he tells us, more to be desired are they than gold. Well, that's a great statement because people go to war over gold. People will rob other people and murder other people for gold. And yet there's something that is more precious. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. And then he says something else. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So what is David trying to get across to the audience. This was a song they would sing. I someday would kind of like to know the tune of that. Uh, when I was a teenager, we used to have a, a song that we would sing that came out of these verses. It didn't include all of them, but uh, probably that's not the tune that David wrote. His music probably sounded a little more Israeli than ours did. But uh, one day we'll know. But God didn't preserve the tune, but he did preserve the words. And what do we learn about this, about God's statement through David about Scripture, about the Bible? Okay, The Bible is not an optional thing, and the Bible is not a supplemental thing. Now, we live in an age where people will read all kinds of things. They will read sermons. They will read devotionals. They'll read commentaries. They'll read articles, all kinds of things. And then what is kind of distressing is people will say, huh, I read this and, and all of that. And that's kind of like what the Bible says. And it's like the Bible is the condiment. The main feeding they do is what somebody wrote. We had somebody here one time that could quote Luther and Calvin and Spurgeon all day long. And I just asked him one time, I said, I don't ever hear you quote Paul. And he looked at me with this weird look. Like, what do you mean by that? And then he goes, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I read Paul too. And I thought, you got it backwards, dude. See, it's the Bible that is the main course. Use your commentaries and your devotionals as maybe a little salt and pepper. Maybe they uh, spice it up a little bit, give you a little better understanding, uh, make it more clear, that kind of thing. But you never ever want to get it to where some other book and some other article, even if it's a really good theology book, it's not the same as the Word of God. Even if it's your favorite preacher, it's not the Word of God. You've got to always get back to the Bible. And then anything else is measured by how accurately it reflects biblical truth. And that's why for 20 some odd years I've told you, take my words and then you take them to the scripture and see if what I'm telling you is the truth. That's why God didn't give us, believe everybody who is a holy man and whatever they say. He never said that in the word of God, did he? We're always to measure everything by that because holy men like Joseph Smith came up with a whole new religion that is not Christian. It's a cult called Mormonism. And he was considered to be a man of God, a prophet. Let me tell you something. He's dead wrong and he is in hell tonight. Well, what right do you have to say? Because he distorts the word of God, the gospel, and even the person of Christ and God in general. 
When you believe that there is a heavenly father and a heavenly mother over the earth and that they are engaging in sexual relations and producing offspring and that's where our babies come from, that's not the God of the Bible. And when they teach you that if you will be a good Mormon, that one day you can have your own planet as well and you can populate that planet just like Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother have done here, what they are saying is there's more than one God. And that's what Brigham Young taught when he said as uh, man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. What? Where do you get that? From dreams? From visions? From all of those kind of things? How many times do you dream about something that is really, really good, true, and accurate? Almost never. Sometimes, but almost never. Usually there's some weird twist. There's somebody in it that isn't even alive anymore. I mean, I dreamed the other night that um, I was driving Papa Sam and Bobby Boyles in a car to Trinity Baptist in Yukon to hear David Jeremiah. That's weird. That's weird. It seemed real at the time. It was weird. Where'd that come from? Well, it wasn't very accurate, was it? And you and I have had kind of things like that. And we go, oh, I think maybe God spoke to me. And then later on, you can't really remember. I think it was this. And it might have been this and all of that. I'm so glad God didn't put us on that standard. Or, you know what? If that happened to me, my cult would be even weirder than Joseph Smith's. I mean, my mind's crazy. And I can dream some crazy things. And I can see visions of crazy things. Throw all that aside. And David is saying... It's the testimonies of the Lord in his word. Why the law of the Lord is perfect. Not your dreams. Not your thoughts. Not your intuition. Not any voices that you hear. Nothing like that. Always go back to the word. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand. Mm, what was that next word? Was that? I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the only sure foundation that you have. Okay? That's what David's trying to get across to uh, these people that are singing this song. They're true and righteous altogether. Look at verse 10 again. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine or pure gold. Well, that only makes sense if everything that I said is true. And again, search the scriptures and weigh it out. But if everything that I said is true, and, and just to help you out, it is, by the way. You know what that means? The pursuit of the knowledge of this God who has revealed himself in these 66 books is the most important thing you can do on this earth because you are getting the mind of God. Want to know what God thinks? Read his book. You don't know what God, how God judges morality and nations and the lost and the saved and all of that. Read his book. He makes it really, really clear here. And then he says something else. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Okay. Full disclosure, I don't really like honey. Okay. But back in the days in which David lived, because see, that's what matters. 
That's what matters. You think about the days when they didn't have ice cream. Can you imagine a world without ice cream? David lived in a world without ice cream. Poor guy. You know? Poor guy. Think about this. He didn't have uh, anything near what you and I have. I mean, he lived in a world without Brahms. <gasps> okay? Is there going to be Brahms in heaven? And somebody said, if there's not, I ain't going. <laughs> I don't know. But think about a world where you just didn't have anything sweet anytime you wanted it. Uh, I was sitting in my chair watching something, and I just kind of, ah, I need something. I wasn't really hungry, but, you know, I kind of need something. And I went and opened up the refrigerator, and, oh, man, there were these wonderful grapes. And I just got them, pulled them out, and I didn't think anything of it. Do you realize David lived in a day where he couldn't just go to the refrigerator and pull out grapes if he wanted them? They did have grapes, but he couldn't have them anytime he wanted them. Because you had to get them only during the growing season. This is a day when even to put ice in your drink. Can you imagine drinking, um, you know, maybe sweet tea without a lot of ice in it? Because it needs to be really good and cold, right? And, uh, you know, think about David. This is, this is a time when they didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have ice makers or anything like that. So to live in a palace and be the richest man on earth, you still couldn't have a cold drink whenever you wanted it. It's hard to get that, hard to hang on to that. And you just didn't have, I mean, they didn't have Snickers. Oh, come on, folks, think about that. And you can pick up one, you get gas, and you go inside to pay, if you still go inside to pay. And uh, you know what you can do? You can get a, a Coke, and you can get a Snickers or something like that. And then uh, while you're drinking it on the way home, contemplate why you're a diabetic. But... Um, I mean, that's the world we live in, and that's not the world he lived in. In fact, the world that David lived in, the sweetest thing they had, and what they would do sometimes even just for a snack, or like Jonathan did one time when his blood sugar was low, you know, he took, the, took his sword and put it in and got the honey and the honeycomb. That was sweet to them. That was like, oh, this is one of the greatest things you can have is to have uh, honey available to you, honey and the honeycomb. And you know what he said about it? As sweet and as wonderful and as rare as that might be. Because common people didn't even have that most of the time. The word of God, he said, is sweeter than that. You want to enrich your life? You want to sweeten your life? Do it with the word of God. Everything else brings bitterness. Everything else brings disappointment. Everything else is so unsatisfying. But the word of God will satisfy you in so many ways. So let's think of uh, four words tonight. Okay? David tells us that first of all, the word of God is trustworthy. You can believe everything in it, and it's the only thing that will transform the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Okay? I'm always skeptical of people that tell me a salvation testimony that does not include the gospel. That does not include the word of God somewhere in it. Faith comes by hearing, Paul said. The hearing of the word of God. That's where faith comes from. That's how God does it. Through his word. And so think about it. The, trans, the trustworthiness of God's word transforms our lives. So that people are still saved by the grace of God and by the good news of God today, just like they were in centuries and even uh, past millennia. 
Uh, We don't have to fix it. We don't have to doctor it up. It's true. The Word of God is powerful. And it's still true, Romans 1.16. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And so you... uh, Whenever you think, well, I'm just not sure. Uh, I was in a church one time where we're getting ready to go on visitation, and we had some uh, a, a newcomers list, and uh, that had these little codes about people on there, and uh, some information about their background. And I noticed one got left every week. You know, they'd pick up all the other ones. This one would get left left every week. So I asked somebody. I said, uh, why, why, "Why won't you take this one and go look at it?" And they said, "Did you see what it says on there?" And I looked, and sure enough, it said they were Buddhist. And the person said, I don't know how to witness to a Buddhist. And I said, well, I can tell you real quick. And uh, they said, what? And I said, well, first of all, tell them that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then tell them that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Tell them that God demonstrated his love toward us. You know, and he goes, well, that's like witnessing to a regular person. Okay? I was only in my early 20s, and I said... Yeah, well, you see, their problem's not that they're Buddhist. Their problem is that they're lost. And the only way a lost sinner gets saved is through the Word of God, the Gospel. Just share the Word with them. God does the work. And, uh, you know, we've been through all, so many times, uh, so many uh, trainings, you know, where we have to do things a certain way in a certain phrase, and then we have to draw the net. I found out reading the Bible that it's not me who draws the net. The Bible says no one can come except the Father draws him. Oh, good. So I don't have to be super salesman in order to lead somebody to faith in Christ. I just need to share the simple gospel, and God plants the seed, waters the seed, and gives the increase for the harvest. It's good news, isn't it? This is the trustworthy and transforming word of God. Let that sink into your mind. Okay? This is what it is. Now, if you will... Think about the next thing. This is the Word of God that trains us. Uh, What does it do? Well, it not only saves us, but it says that His testimony is sure. And what's the outcome? Making wise the simple or the gullible. Okay? The statues of the Lord are right. And what do they do? They rejoice the heart. So now I've become less gullible. And now my heart is right and rejoicing. And then it says... That the commandment of the Lord is pure and that it enlightens the eyes. Oh, the lights come on. Things begin to make sense. How many times have you heard somebody that they could not understand the ways of God and the rightness and the wrongness of things and then they got saved and then it's like, oh, why didn't I see this before? Everything that they see is different. When my grandpa got saved, he looked around and he said whenever I see the work of God at springtime how can anybody doubt the resurrection is like where'd this man come from all of a sudden he was seeing the glory of God in everything that happened why because that's what the word of God does it trains us how to think it trains us how we are to act it trains us how we how we are to appraise things I don't have to go by my feelings anymore I don't have to go by what anyone else says anymore I can go to the word of God because this is what trains us it changes us it makes us stable it it, it makes us wise it makes us to be on the right path it makes us to where we are able to see the uh, purity of things and all of that. Okay, thirdly, 
Notice that David tells us here that the Word of God is a treasure. Um, when you uh, see people that are in an oppressed, ungodly society, okay? if you think about during the days of communism, what did believers want more than anything else? American dollars. No. They wanted the Word of God. They wanted Bibles. If they were in prison, they wanted a Bible if they could get it. If they were in an underground church, they wanted a Bible. So much so that whenever they did get a Bible, a printed Bible that was smuggled in, they would take it and they would cut uh, the books out and separate them and attach them together so that you might have Genesis and you might have Exodus and you might have Romans and you might have Jude and you might have something else. And you know what they would do? They would start writing on notebook paper Every word that they saw from the printed word to writing it out so that they could have copies of it. And then they would exchange them and exchange them. Can you imagine how big and thick a Bible would be if it were written out by hand? They're, they're, they're huge. And they would treasure those things. They would hide them. They would be very careful about who they would loan them to because they wanted it back. And they might only have one or two books of the Bible to themselves but they read it they poured over it they would study it and you know something else that's amazing they would die for it we have bibles laying around our house that we don't even know where they are you may have five six seven bibles all around your house some of them you haven't even picked up in a long time and we all have our favorites that one that feels right and that one, I've got a Bible in my office that I can find passages of Scripture in it faster than I can the other Bibles that I have. Why? It's just familiar. I've got a visual of it. There are certain passages that I look at and I say, I don't remember exactly where it's found, but I remember it's at the top right-hand corner of the page, that page that's torn off a little bit. And, uh, boy, I love that Bible. Priceless. But those people in those countries would die for the word of God because many times they were under the penalty of imprisonment or death if they even possessed a Bible. They would probably look at this and say, Amen, it's a treasure. Holy Bible, book divine, we used to sing. Precious treasure, thou art mine. It's amazing. And then when you think that most of human history, people couldn't possess a Bible because a lot of them couldn't read it even if they had one. So you ought to thank God for your education and the fact that you're literate. You can read the Word of God. That's precious. And then think about the time before there were books when it was in scrolls and they were very expensive and they were kept in the synagogue or places like that. And you would hear the Word of God read when you came to church. That's why they did a whole lot more reading of the Word of God. They didn't possess it like we do. Think about how you would listen to the Word of God and think about what it would be when you got back home and you were trying to remember what was that one word, what was in there, how frustrating that must have been. Think about how blessed you are to have so many copies of the Word of God and you take it for granted. And we don't treasure it like we should. And yet David tells us here, not only is everything in it right, but it's more to be desired than even the purest of gold. Much fine gold. And so... It's an amazing thing because being clean, it's, there's no impurities in it. It's true. His judgment is unchanging and it's always right. 
and gold. Scripture is more valuable than anything the world has to offer. Anything the world has to offer. I'm tempted to ask you to say amen on that, but I don't want us to say that flippantly, and I certainly don't want us to lie. Because there are so many times when people will say, well, I really wanted to read the Word of God, but, and they had something else. I had the chance to make more money if I got to work earlier. So Bible, bye-bye. Here we go, more gold. And sometimes we kind of give ourselves away, don't we? If we have an opportunity to go to church or we have an opportunity to make money, where are we going to go? Almost 100% of the time making more money. Because we don't really value the Word of God as David told us that we ought to. God puts more priority in His Word than we do and we need to match up with Him. But the last thing, the word that I have here when I think about sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb is the word treat. You know, when you uh, make Rice Krispies treats, that's not your main course of your meal, at least I hope not. But it is a treat. It ought to be special. It's sweet. It's kind of, ah, I love these things. My grandma used to make them all the time. Not the kind you buy, the real ones, you know. Man, they were good. And some things just, just come in light. It's just a treat. There's nothing wrong with it. It may not be the healthiest thing. It may not be the best thing for you. But it's not a mainstay. It's just a treat that comes up every once in a while. And David is telling us here that not only is the Word of God something to treasure more than gold and to put more effort in than even making gold, but then he says sometimes take the Word of God and just enjoy it. God has spoken to you in His Word. God has given you His wisdom in His Word. Think about that. And smile when you read the Bible. God is speaking to you. Someone said, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, then pick up your Bible and read it aloud. That's the voice of God. Think about it. When Moses was at the burning bush, he was in the presence of God and heard the voice of God. You've got something so much better. You've got the entire revelation of God from Genesis to Revelation where God the Holy Spirit takes His Word and speaks to your heart about the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And you had the capability of knowing a whole lot more than Moses was able to know in his lifetime. You had the capability of knowing more than David knew or understood in his lifetime. They had glimpses. You had the full revelation of God. All the way through. Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. Let that sink in that God has given this word, this precious word to you. So general revelation given to everybody. Special revelation, the Bible given to his people. And think of it like this. When I first moved to uh, Moore in 1980, there was a commercial. Some of you oldsters going to remember it. Remember Paul Mead Insurance? And remember that guy with the hat? Tall Paul here. And then he'd sing that song. Protecting all the things you own like cars and trucks and mobile homes for accidents and tickets too. Just call and we'll take care of you. 5241541. That's 40 years of memory right there. Okay? Now, here's what I thought of. Here's the illustration that we're going to close it all up. Okay? I look on TV and they tell me that I need to call the general or safe auto or the progressive thing. I just want to shoot the TV every time. That 
thing comes on, don't you? Okay, let's call that general revelation. Hmm, I need some insurance. And if I get some insurance, that means everything I got is covered for any reason, right? That's kind of what it says. Protecting all the things you own, like cars and trucks, you know, well, I'll just get me some of that, and then if I ever lose it or it breaks, I'll get me, uh, you know, get it replaced. And uh, those who are agents for that get calls all the time. Do you cover my dishwasher? And things like that. And what do they always refer you to? Not how you felt when you saw the commercial. Not how you understood what you thought the salesman was saying. They take you to a document. It's called a policy. And they open up and they say, well, your policy says right here that no, it doesn't cover that. It does cover this, and it covers this. So if you've got a fire or a tornado or something, you're covered. But no, if you uh, put the wrong detergent in your dishwasher and make it up, no, we don't cover that. And, you know, and all of those kind of things. You get it? General revelation, you need insurance. Special revelation, this is what it is, this is what it costs, and this is what it covers all that and no more. Get it? God has given us general revelation. You need to know this God who made all of this. And then he gave us special revelation. This is who he is. And this is how you come to know him. These are the terms of a right relationship with God. Okay? So let that sink in. You need both. General revelation, special revelation. But thank God for his special revelation, the Bible. The unchanging, inerrant, eternal, all-sufficient Word of God. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us exactly what we need. Now let us value it like you value it. Whether it's preached from our pulpit, or whether it's something that we take in and ingest every day, whether it's something that causes us to have some questions, whether it's something that causes us to have our spirit stirred to where we want more, whether it's something that kind of slaps us in the face with the reality of who we are and our sin, whatever it may do, even if it's just giving us wisdom and how to get along with our wife or our husband, how to raise our children, all of those things the sufficient Word of God gives us everything that we need if we would only read it and value it enough to apply it. God, forgive us on one hand and thank you, Lord, for your grace on the other. And we praise you for your Word. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.